Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I'm a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur Eit Ratzon and Machzor Eit Ratzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Nazir, Daf Hay, page 5. This tractate, Masechet Nazir, deals with men and women who make a vow to abstain from wine and all grape products, to refrain from cutting their hair, and to avoid contact with all dead bodies, so that they don't become tameh, or ritually impure. These requirements of a Nazir appear in Chapter 6 of Bamidbar, Numbers. Today's daft begins with a rather amusing discussion of how often Absalom cut his hair. You recall from yesterday's session that Absalom had long hair, which led the rabbis to believe that he was a Nazir, and that even though he was a Nazir, he cut his hair from time to time because it was apparently very thick and heavy. His hair weighed 200 shekels, according to the raw according to the royal standard. How often did Absalom cut his hair? Samuel, too, says that his hair was cut which would normally be translated as from time to time. Various opinions are given about how often this took place. Once a year, once in two years, once a month, once every three months, each with its own justification none of which is particularly credible. The final statement in this series is the opinion of Rabbi Neharai that Absalom cut his hair every 30 days because the priests cut their hair every 30 days. Neither his reasoning nor his conclusion makes much sense. The reasoning goes like this. Why did, the cut, why did the priests cut their hair every 30 days? Because their hair became burdensome, kaved, after that period. So too, Absalom cut his hair because it was burdensome, kaved. It must also have been every 30 days. Very strange reasoning, because the two uses of the word kaved are not parallel. Long hair was burdensome to the priests because it, because it interfered with their work. It must be hard to offer sacrifices if your long hair gets in the way. On the other hand, long hair was burdensome to Absalom because it became literally too heavy. The conclusion also doesn't make sense because if Absalom cut his hair every 30 days, he would never have ended up with enough hair to get caught in a tree. And his hair would certainly not have weighed 200 shekels as asserted in the Bible. But it turns out that this amusing discussion was a prequel to the next Mishnah, which says simply that if a person vows to be a Nazir without specifying a time limit, that person shall be a Nazir for 30 days.
Although the previous discussion has prepared us for the default time for Nazir to be 30 days, the Gemara begins by asking why the Mishnah sets 30 days for the Nazir, and doesn't respond with the assertion by Rabbi Naharai that we mentioned a moment ago, that since the Kohen cuts his hair every 30 days, the Nazir, who is like a Kohen, should also cut his hair every 30 days. Instead, it gives two different answers. First, it quotes Rabbi Matena, who said that the text of Bamidbar that describes a Nazir notes that Kadosh Yiyeh, he shall be holy. And the numerical value of Yiyeh, he shall be, is 30. That is, Yod is 30, Yod is 10, Hey is 5, Yod is 10, and Hey is 5, a total of 30. Rabbi Matana might just as well have argued that the default time should be 404 days, since that is the numerical value of Kadosh. Proofs by Gematria are generally unconvincing. A second reason for the 30-day Nizirut is given in the name of Varpada, who said that the word Nazir, in both verb and noun forms, occurs exactly 30 times in chapter 6 of Bamidbar. If you include occurrences of, occurrences of the word neder, vow as well. Needless to say, neither of these reasons is compelling. Whatever the justification was, it was clear that by the time of the Mishnah, it had been settled that a person who vowed to be a Nazir would be a Nazir for 30 days, unless he or she specified otherwise. You might say that 30 days is a natural time limit, the length of a month. But in saying that, you would be influenced by the fact that 30-day periods are commonly used in our times. Is there any evidence that 30 days was a natural period in Talmudic times, where the length of a month, that is a lunar month, was probably seen as 29 days? So it seems that we don't know why the rabbis chose 30 days as the standard term of an azir. The term of 30 days is not mentioned in chapter 6 of Numbers, nor is any other term mentioned. However, the phrase, kol yamei nizro, all the days of that person's nizirut, occurs at the beginning of each of the three prohibitions, suggesting that each nazir had a, first, a fixed term. And since no term is specified, each nazir must have chosen his or her own term. Moreover, the fixed term had to be determined at the outset since when the Nazir accidentally became ritually impure, that same term had to start over. The Nazir couldn't simply say, eh, let's stop here. However many days I have already been a Nazir, that's my term as Nazir. Let us take a few moments to speculate about why a set time was introduced for the term of the Nazir, and what was the impact of introducing a set time. Note that the Mishnah did not say that every Nizirut had to last exactly 30 days. A person could, be, could vow to be a Nazir for 613 days. But it did say that every Nizirut for which no time was specified had to last for 30 days. Did this Mishnah intend to set a floor below which no Nazir could go? Perhaps this Mishnah was a reaction to a situation where some people set absurdly low Nazirut terms for themselves, perhaps, perhaps as extreme as Nazir for a day. Possibly, but then the Mishnah should have said simply that every Nazirut 
had to last at least 30 days. It is also possible that the rabbis of the early Mishnaic period were reacting to the opposite situation, that many people were vowing to be a Nazir for a long term and were unable to meet their obligation. So the rabbis recommended a 30-day term. If a Nazir completed a 30-day term, he or she was able to begin another 30-day term right away, or could sign on for a second term that was longer for 30 days. And if someone was sure that they wanted to be a Nazir for a year or more, they could still make that vow. Although it doesn't seem clear what was intended by the 30-day term ruling, it does seem clear that the Gemara understood its import to be that every Nazir should have a term of 30 days. All the discussions focus on Nazirim whose term is 30 days. Also not clear was when this ruling was made. Was it something that had been in place for hundreds of years before the Mishnah? Or was it made up by the authors of the Mishnah after the institution of the Zirut had, term, had been terminated? Does this regulation reflect a positive attitude to the Nizirut or a negative attitude to the Nizirut? That's hard to determine. But when you set a floor, the floor often becomes a ceiling. That is, I suspect that in the early years, the typical Nazir had long flowing hair and was therefore publicly identified as a Nazir. But that in the later years, although there may have been more Nazirim, the typical Nazir had relatively short hair and could not be recognized as a Nazir from his or her appearance. If that were the case, the relationship of the Nazir to the community became different, and the Zirut became more a private than a public practice. Moreover, it is quite possible that the practical effect of, settling, of setting a default term for the Nazir at 30 days made it easier for a person to become a Nazir. Since the conception of a Nazir changed from a person who made a long-term commitment to God to a person who had a brief encounter with holiness. Why would a person become a Nazir? This question is not asked explicitly. However, in discussing the Nazir in the Talmud, several examples of Nazir are mentioned. A strange example is described on page on Daf 10 of Tractate Nadarim. Pious people who wanted to fulfill all of the commandments in the Torah could not bring a sin offering without accidentally committing a sin. But they didn't want to sin, even accidentally. Of course, if you plan to sin accidentally, well, surprise, it's no longer an accident. So they realized that a way of fulfilling the mitzvah of bringing a sin offering without actually sinning accidentally was to become a Nazir. Here are three more usual examples. A person who vows to be a Nazir if his wife give, gives birth to a boy. A person who vows to be a Nazir for the duration of a journey. A person who vows to be a Nazir if her son returns safely from battle. What these three situations have in common is the sense that a Nazir is one who makes a bargain with God. It is possible that one reason that the rabbis of the Talmud responded negatively to the idea of a Nazir is that they did not see the Nazir as a person who wished to be holy to God, 
but rather as a person who is courting God's favor. It is quite possible that in early days, a Nazir was typically a person who wanted to devote himself or herself to God, to consecrate himself or herself to God, to be a holy person, someone who is kadosh ladonai, holy to God, dedicated to God. This person wanted to be a religious. The word religious in English is used as a noun by Catholics, but as a noun is foreign to Jews. Can you, can you imagine yourself as a religious, as a person who, while living a normal life, also lives a life consecrated to God? And what does such a life have to do with the three prohibitions that define the Nazir? Abstention from wine, not cutting one's hair, avoiding contact with the dead. We have noted that a Nazir is sometimes described as an ascetic, sometimes as a person who removes himself from society, or even a hermit, sometimes as a wannabe Kohen, sometimes as a person undergoing rehabilitation, sometimes as a person who shows off his beautiful long hair, sometimes as a person who wards off human contact because of his bedraggled long hair, sometimes as a spiritual person, or even a mystic. But each of these descriptions relates to only one or two of the three prohibitions, and none of them speak to the motivation of the Nazir. The key to answering these questions and to understanding the motivations of the Nazir is the hair of the Nazir and what happens to it. As described in Bamidbar 6, when the Nazir's term is completed, the Nazir comes to the temple where his or her hair is cut and is burned on the altar. Why is that significant? Well, there may come a time in the life of a person when he or she feels a need to be consecrated to God, to make of himself or herself an offering to God. This may happen as a result of an event in the person's life. It could be at a time of great thanksgiving or at a time of great relief or at a time of great pain or distress or at a time of spiritual awakening. The ordinary response to bring an offering of shlamim and to participate in a celebratory meal may not feel appropriate. Nor would it feel appropriate to offer a gift to the temple that represents the monetary worth of the person, an offering that might be appropriate in other circumstances. What the Nazir wants to do is offer himself or herself to God. Of course, Judaism does not allow human sacrifice and therefore does not allow such self-sacrifice. What part of oneself can one offer to God? The only part of ourselves that we can give up and still remain whole is our hair. So the Nazir is a person who grows hair specifically for God and uses the burning of that hair as a symbolic way of offering himself or herself to God. But once the Nazir has vowed to be a Nazir and consecrated his or her hair to God, then the Nazir has taken on the responsibility of ensuring that that hair is kept in a state of holiness. Thus the Nazir must avoid contamination by the dead, avoiding contamination not of the Nazir, but of the consecrated hair. 
what the text in Numbers repeatedly refers to as Rosh Nizro, his consecrated head. And the Nazir must be like the Kohen, who guards consecrated objects, and when on duty cannot drink Yayin V'Sheikhar. So too the Nazir, who must guard his head, or her head, 24-7, must always be on guard, and must always avoid Yayin V'Sheikhar. Even grape juice may ferment inside the Nazir's stomach, so grape juice too is forbidden. This seems to be the simple meaning, the pshat, of the description of the Nazir in the sixth chapter of Bamidbar. A Nazir is a person who is consecrated as an offering to God, symbolically through the offering of his or her hair to God. And a Nazir is a person who must also guard God's hair until it is brought to the altar. So the Nazir, like the Kohen, must abstain from the fruit of the vine and must avoid all contact with the dead. A Nazir is not a hermit, not an ascetic, not a recovering alcoholic, not a wannabe Kohen, not a long-haired hippie or freak, not a, myst not a mystic, but a person who has consecrated his or her hair to God and who has thereby consecrated his or her very self to God. This perspective of the Nazir was first presented in the 1997 article by Rabbi Eliezer Diamond, and it is really surprising to me that earlier teachers and scholars had not thought of it. How can it be that from the Mishnah to the Rambam to modern times, no one persisted in asking the question of how the three conditions of the Nazir are linked? And how can it be that no one came up with this simple answer? The similarity of Nazir and Nezer should have been a giveaway. The Nezer is the diadem that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, wore on his head, and on it was written, Kodesh Ladonai, holy to God. The hair of the Nazir is also, of course, worn on the head, and it too is referred to as Kodesh Ladonai. The hair of the Nazir is the Nezer of the Kohen Gadol. The purpose of growing one's hair was to burn it, so that according to this understanding of Nazir, Samson was not a Nazir, at least not this kind of Nazir, his hair was grown to maintain his strength in order to defend the Israelites from the Philistines, as God had promised his mother. He did not have to avoid contact with the dead. Indeed, he was a producer of corpses. And although his mother was told to avoid wine, that did not explicitly apply to him. Nor was Samuel this kind of a Nazir. Nor was Absalom this kind of a Nazir. We are told that he cut his hair when it became too heavy but not that he offered it to God. So these three biblical figures did not serve as models or examples of the kind of Nazir as described in Numbers chapter 6. We will continue our discussion tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.